I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? Hello, movie lovers. You're listening to Does It Hold Up, the podcast where we talk about some movies from the past to see if they still hold up. I don't remember who I am. And I'm Emily. And this week we're going over 2002's The Bourne Identity. The Matt Damon could be a big star movie? His action thriller spy movie. Yeah, like he was a big star before this, I guess. Like he had already won an Oscar, but for writing, not acting. He was a leading man in a few things, but this was the one that kind of launched him into superstardom, where he could, like, lead a franchise. It's definitely something that showed that he could do other things. Yeah, he wasn't just will hunting. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just, like, super smart and could talk fast and be kind of witty. He could be, like, serious. Serious and action and... Fight, fight. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I remember the first time I watched this movie is when it was in theaters. I went and saw this movie and I was blown away by it because leading up to this movie, action movies were still stuck in more of like the 80s, 90s genre where it was like big muscle dudes who are like, I pick heavy thing up and throw things. I pick guy up and throw him off building. Like there wasn't really like martial arts involved you had like the small niche of them but you weren't getting major movies where like hand-to-hand combat matrix came out three years before this 1999 and that kind of showcased it a little bit but everybody thought you can only do that in the matrix only keanu reeves as neo can be a skinny guy who fights well Mm -hmm. and have it be believable and then here comes matt damon being like hey reeves Hold my beer. I got to do this thing real quick. Now, is this a thing where, you know, you had your Arnold Schwarzeneggers and that's what everyone just assumed action heroes had to be? Oh, 100%. It wasn't until Tom Cruise did a little action in the the 90s, like Mission Impossible, 1996, where people were like, wait, tiny dudes can like do action things? And be cool? And like make it look good? That's weird as hell. Yeah. But we were still stuck in that mindset of if you weren't 257 pounds of pure muscle, you're not an action star. And we watched it fail a few times, too. And so when Reeves did it in Mission, or um, Cruz did it in Mission Impossible, Reeves does it in The Matrix, people are like, okay, but that's, that's not normal. Those are the anomalies. Yeah. And then Damon comes along, who's an Oscar winner, who people know for more like serious roles, and comes in and does this and it just blew everybody's mind this is my first time watching it so i've been swayed by the many years of this being the norm june 14th 2002 the born identity hits theaters it had a budget of 60 million it would go on to make 121.5 million domestically 214.4 worldwide it was the 20th highest grossing movie domestically not bad for a action spy thriller type thing. 
What was the highest grossing movie of 2002? We've covered it on this podcast. What's your guess? I don't remember. You don't know? 2002? No. It's a superhero movie. Oh. X-Men? No. X-Men came out in 2000. Blade? Nope. 1998. <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Oh my Two God. Two and a half star yep. Spider-Man came out <laughs> in 2002 as the highest grossing movie. But while I was looking all this up, 2002 was a really good year for movies. Apparently. Like a really good year. Okay. So Spider-Man, number one. Number two, Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Okay. Not a good movie by any stretch of the I imagination. I enjoy the heck out of it, but yes. But made bank. So much money. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. It was uh, in third that year. My favorite of there the you. Lord of the Rings ones. I think it's everybody's. Is it always just like the middle chapter of trilogies is the best? Seems to happen that way a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets came out that year. Yeah. Okay. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I wrote a whole list. Signs. I know wow. that's one of our buddy Maddie's like favorite movies. Of if all not time. his favorite movie of all time. Scooby-Doo. Live action Scooby-Doo. Yes. 2002. Lilo and Stitch. Ooh, wow. A Beautiful Mind. Minority Report. The mm-hmm. Ring which we oh, covered yeah. on this pod. Eight Mile with Eminem. Love that movie. Catch Me If You Can. One that is on my list for us to cover. Snow Dogs. <laughs> I only put that in because I know you love <laughs> I it. I love that movie so much. It's terrible. We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson. Really good war movie. Like a really good war movie. The Rookie. We've covered that. Yes. Spirit. The Stallion of Cimarron. Oh, spirit. okay. Just making sure there wasn't another spirit. Nope. Spirit, Stallion of Cimarron. Jackass the movie helped shape my teenage years. <laughs> we can tell. Another one just for you. Big Fat Liar. Yes. Love it so much. Gangs of New York. And the last one that I put, there were so many more, but the last one I added here, another animated movie you love that's very underrated. Can you guess it? Uh, Titan A.E. No, it's a couple years from this. Then um, I'm going to go with Treasure Planet. Yes. Yeah. Treasure Planet, O2. Look at those movies I just named. That is a hell of a movie year. Mm-hmm. And they're like stuff for everybody. That's insane. Also, Titan A.E., oh, another Matt Damon movie. Yeah, but this that came out, I believe, oh five. I don't remember. So a couple years after this. I'm just saying my love for Matt Damon is justified, okay? It is. I'll give you that. <laughs> it 100% is. He's wonderful in almost everything. He's had a few, let's not talk about him, Legend of Bagger Vance. Let's not talk about it. I mean, everyone's going to have those, okay? Jim Carrey doesn't. You wait, know what? Wait, mm. number 23 is not that good. <laughs> All right, never mind. He de- he's got one. So, yeah, like, what a great year. And this is why it's like, you made $120 million and you came all the way in 20th place that year? Well, no wonder. It was competing with, like, maybe one of the best movie years of all time. Insane. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the Spider-Man 2.5 stars, this one ended up actually getting better than that. It got three stars. I knew that would make you a little mad. Nope, I'm fine with it. <laughs> You've come to love I've the two and terms. a half. <laughs> I've come to terms with Mr. Eber on his two and a half. The quote I grabbed from him was, I kind of enjoyed the Bourne identity. I had to put my mind on hold, but I was able to. The movie is unnecessary, but not unskilled. 
Yeah, reading through his review was crazy because he gave it three stars. So you're expecting like this huge glowing review of like, oh, it's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Everything's great. And most of his review is just like, it is not the best movie. But it is well done in every aspect. Yeah. Except for the, like the story. Well, yeah. Because there is no story in yeah. this movie. It literally is just... Matt Damon needs to get from this fight to the next fight. And how do we do it? Yep. And that's what Ebert talked about this entire time. And I agree with it. The Rotten Tomato, on the other hand, uh, gave it glowing. Glowing. Uh, The Rotten Tomato critics have it in an 84%, a 7 out of 10. And the audience, a 93%, an 8.4 out of 10. Oh, yeah. People love this movie. Love this movie. The cinema score, an A minus. Yeah. It's well, exactly what you would expect. Makes a lot of sense because this is based on a book. Mm-hmm. So if you were a fan of the book or at least knew of the book, this movie, although a lot of it is changed, does follow Jason Bourne as he tries to rediscover who he is. So you got exactly what you thought you were going to. So, and yeah. the action is pretty. Is it? Okay. Oh, we're going to definitely get into that. Oh, okay. So the director of this movie is Doug Lyman. That name ring a bell at all? It sounds very familiar. He directed Swingers in 1996. Did you ever see that? No. Really? Good movie. John Favreau and uh, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. They're a group of, uh, they're the two two main dudes and a group of friends who go to Vegas and crazy stuff happens. Do they swing? No, that different meaning. <laughs> uh, he directed Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Ah. With Pitt and Jolie. Do like that one. Jumper. Is that... Where they have the power to just jump wherever they want? loved that movie as well. You're the only person. (laughs) Edge of Tomorrow. Love that movie. Live, Die, Repeat. Um, And then the last one I wrote down was American Made. Because I know you enjoyed that one with Tom Cruise too, where he's the airplane airplane pilot who's smuggling drugs based on a true story. I'm glad you remember me liking it, because I remember watching it, but I don't remember anything else about it. You enjoyed it at the time. There. I don't know if it would hold up, but you enjoyed it at the time. All right. Um, he's an interesting director. Like, I wouldn't say any of those movies, other than maybe Edge of Tomorrow, really stand out as, like, a director's vision. Like, he doesn't seem to have a viewpoint as a director. He doesn't have that, like, go-to Doug Lyman feel mm. to his movies. He's a very generic director, but sometimes it that's what works. I was going to say, it, it seems to work because you named almost every single one of them I'd heard of and watched and liked. Because they're basic. There's yeah. nothing special about them to make you think or make you more interested than just, I liked it. I don't know. I really enjoy some of those movies. I think sometimes you like to say basic. Sometimes just that is what moviegoers like. They don't need someone to be like, I'm going to put a Dutch angle here because I want to. Well, first of all, I hate Dutch angles. They're terrible. They are overused and overplayed. Just (laughs) scrap them. Get rid of them. We get it. The guy's evil. You don't have to put him in a Dutch angle. You're only supposed to use Dutch angles when you're making things a little unnerving before the audience is aware of what is actually going on. I think there should be a blue tint on this scene. What does that have to do with the movie? You know, it's just pretty. Why is your fake director British or German or whatever that was? It's important to the artistic 
integrity of this director that they have a bit of an accent they don't even really have one they just fake it exactly i don't know who that is but i don't want to meet them (laughs) the writers of this movie are robert ludlam well he didn't actually write the movie but he wrote the novel that the movie is based on back in 1980 so he got credit for it the novel's also called the born identity makes sense it makes perfect sense do you know there's a whole book series that that makes sense as well. So Ludlum wrote three Jason Bourne books. The Bourne Identity, The Bourne Supremacy, The Bourne Ultimatum. Those are the first three Bourne movies as well. Mm-hmm. Then there's 19 more Bourne books. Who wrote those? So, yeah. Uh, Ludlum, Robert Ludlum, died in 2001, a couple of months before this movie premiered oh so he never actually got to see the finished finished product but since his death 19 more books have been written in the world of jason Bourne about treadstone about all this stuff just random writers just wrote kept it going why because <laughs> then they don't have to you know get the ip for themselves they don't have to be creative yeah. They just keep going with the thing from a dead man? Basically, it's fan fiction, but you know. <laughs> but they get paid for it. Yeah. It, I don't want to read any of them. I think I would read the first three. Probably. I don't think I want to read all 22 of them. No. All right, so here's the actual writers for the movie. William Blake Heron was the secondary writer who cleaned some stuff up. The only other movie that I know of his that he wrote was Role Models. Oh, With okay. Paul Rudd. Yeah. Love that movie. That was fun. Very different to this. Very. That's why I said, I realized it as soon as I said, oh, that was fun. That's different. V- yes. <laughs> and the main writer on this, the one who did the entire write-up of everything, Tony Gilroy. Not ringing a bell, right? No. We just covered one of his movies a couple weeks ago, though. Okay. Armageddon. <laughs> Okay, that makes more sense. (laughs) Makes perfect sense. Yes, it does. Uh, He also wrote uh, both of the sequels, Supremacy and Ultimatum. He directed and wrote Born Legacy, the the fourth movie. Oh, yeah. When Mm -hmm. they tried to make uh, Jeremy Renner a thing. Which I have seen that one. It just never worked, though, because they tried to make him a thing with the Born series. They were going to have him take it over. Didn't work. They put him in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol thinking he'd take over for Tom Cruise. Didn't it work. didn't work. Poor Renner. Yeah, but then he found Hawkeye, and everybody fell in love with him. He, he's a good Hawkeye. Sure. He is a Hawkeye. There you go. He, uh, so, Tony Gilroy also wrote Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Okay. And the TV show Andor. I have yet to watch that. I'm very sad I haven't I watched it I am yet. not going to, so... I'm done with the Star Wars universe. <laughs> you're writing it off there's too much i don't care the characters aren't interesting like everybody keeps telling me i should watch ahsoka mm-hmm. i have no interest in it i've i've avoided it too because i missed you know i haven't seen some of the episodes from the other tv show that you have to watch that i just haven't gotten one? around to clone wars no i've watched clone wars i have not watched um rebels rebels yeah me neither not gonna watch it and i'm not gonna watch andor i don't care fair enough I'll watch them eventually. I just just want space laser battles. If there's no space laser battles, I don't care. There's too much drama now. 
Yeah. It's all about the drama, less about the space battles. I just need father and son fighting. There you just go. Where's all the hands getting chopped off? That's the next Born movie. Born has a kid and they got to fight each other. There it is. But only if it ends with a hand getting chopped off. And being like, I'm your father. Yep. Yeah. No. <laughs> there we go. Nailed it. <laughs> Hollywood, call me. I'll write your next uh, Born movie. <laughs> I don't. Who do you cast as Jason Bourne's kid? Who do you cast as Matt Damon's kid? Oh, uh, you know. Tom Holland? <laughs> uh, you know what? That actually kind of works. A little bit, right? They, they kind of have similar face shapes. Yeah. I could see it. But Matt Damon of. has to win. Well, He's yeah. He's totally got to whoop ass. Yeah. Okay. You want to talk about this movie now? Of course. I got, I have the list of the cast, but we'll go through as they show up in the movie. All right. So first things up, the opening. I think the opening's pretty interesting in this movie. Just like a bunch of dudes hanging out on a fishing boat and then they spot him in the water and they pull him in. Yeah. I think this would have been a more interesting opening if we did not get the CIA bit because we get to them pretty quick. They like cut back to them. It's interspliced together. Yeah. I just, I don't like that as part of the opening. I think it would have been more intriguing if we didn't know anything about this character. Kind of like him. Not knowing anything about anything until like it reaches that point. I don't think we know much about him though. That's why I think it is pretty interesting because You know he's part of the CIA. No, no, no. We just know they're looking for him. Yeah. We don't know that he's an asset, that he is military trained. We don't know anything really yet. Eh. And we don't even know if that's who they're looking for. Just because it's cut back and forth like that doesn't really mean anything. He could work for them. He could be somebody that was supposed to die by them. He could be a military leader. He could be... All There's... we know is that he is important. Correct. We did not need to know that yet. But the, of course, no matter what you were going to know, he's important. It's his movie. <laughs> Matt Damon doesn't show up and you're like, oh, it's definitely not his movie. It's definitely Marie's movie. <laughs> No, God, no. <laughs> so it's just a really cool uh, opening. I think it works really well. It kind of pulls you in immediately and starts making you ask questions right away that you want the answers to. Yeah, I do appreciate him doing stuff like on the boat and you kind of get invested in him being this like new person and his quest to find out who he was. Yeah. Because he seems rather wholesome in that moment. Because he is rather wholesome in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Jason Bourne is the guy we're talking about, played by Matt Damon. If you don't know who Matt Damon is, where have you been for 30 years? And we're going to have a fight. Meet me out back. 3 p.m. on the playground. <laughs> Next up, um, I love when he's sleeping on the bench and the two cops come to wake him up and it's not just the fight. The fight is cool. The way he takes them down is really cool, but I really like the subtleness in Damon's acting in this part. Where he's slowly realizing that he can do things like speak other languages. And then when the one cop like pokes him with the baton and he kind of just grabs it really quickly and looks at it like, did I just do that? I do love his acting like bewilderment of like, oh, oh, I can, I know how to do this. I do appreciate that they do give a, an answer to that question on the boat. Of being like, I can do all these things. I can remember how to do this, 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 and this. And there's no reason why I need to know these things. But I know them. And so the acting of him, his acting of being like surprised at how well he's taking down these two police officers. Mwah, in that moment. He doesn't even like break a sweat. It, no. Like a five second fight. Yeah. And it's over. And it's like, this is brilliant. Yeah. This is like John Wick before John Wick. John Wick 
pre-retirement. No, no, I mean like the action style. Oh. I don't mean the actual character. Oh. I mean like action <laughs> style of, well, let's just talk about the action in this movie to start out because it's really good. Mm-hmm. I have a big problem with a lot of the camera happening, camera movements and stuff, the cinematography during the fights because some of the stuff gets lost. I can see that, yeah. But it gets worse in the next two, directed by Paul Greengrass, who was like, let's handheld everything. Oh, no. And it's real shaky, and it gets really weird. The only good thing about the next two is, like, they get real tight on the action sometimes, and, like, you feel like you're in it. Where, like, with John Wick, you're always watching it from a distance, so you're definitely a spectator. When in these movies, the camera gets involved in the action a lot, and you feel like you're in it, which I think works really well. But my favorite part of the action, it's realistic, and you can feel the fatigue of the people doing it. True. It's not pretty fights. That's one of the things I love about John Wick. He gets tired as he goes, and it shows. And that all started here. Because before this, action movies were like, they have unlimited... Ammo. Unlimited ammo, unlimited stamina, unlimited... They have all the cheat codes unlocked. (laughs) And they can't be beat. They're New Game Plus. Yeah. They have all... Yeah, they have everything. It's insane. This movie changed that. And they were like, we're going to make it gritty. We're going to make it real. And they don't use stunt doubles a lot. Matt Damon is the one doing the fighting. Nice. So it's like, it's just you're in it. What do you think? What do you think about the fights? Oh, I enjoy them a lot. They were a lot of fun. They were very inventive. They did a lot of interesting things, which kept me invested in them in the fights. So they were really good. Better than MCU fights, I will say that. They were not cut to hell. I could actually see most of what was happening. These were cut to hell, just like the first level of hell. In a better way. (laughs) The MCU is the seventh circle of hell cutting. (laughs) This was like the first circle of hell. Um... Which one was your favorite of all the fights? So you have the opening fight with the two cops on the bench. You have the fight within the embassy where he takes down three dudes super quick with a book. You have the fight where the guy comes into his apartment. It's like that long drawn out fight. You have the fight with Clive Owen, Clive Owen, which is more of a psychological cat and mouse game fight. And then you have like the final fight, the shootout. Well, I guess I'm giving away my prestige, not my, oh, my psycho award. No, hold on to it then. Hold on to it. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know it was that one was, of the, that was my know. psycho award. Is well, one of those fights. Okay, I didn't know it was a, a fight. Was your psycho award? Okay, we'll leave it. We'll leave it. My mine is not a fight. My award. Mm. Uh, my favorite fight is the one in the embassy. Nice. The second fight. I love the way he takes those dudes down so quick, and then the dude comes up behind him. He just flips him, strips his gun, points it at him, and then just. When he turns around and he points his gun at the two officers that are rounding the corner. And then they slowly just back up. They like walk into frame. Notice he has a gun and they just walk out of frame. (laughs) They're like, nope, not today. Yeah. I've seen this movie. I'm not involved. It's great. I'm wearing a red shirt. This is not good. (laughs) It's great. It's my favorite fight in the whole movie. All right. So after he goes to the embassy, he beats up these cops. He goes to the embassy Or he goes to the bank, finds out that he has a million passports and a bunch of money and a gun. Doesn't know who he is. That's the whole point. He has no idea who he is. And he's not immediately like, I'm a super spy. That would be my first thought. 
Wouldn't yeah, but you could also be like, I am a super villain. Could be, but you know, spy, some secret agent type of thing. I'm or special villain. Special ops. Or villain. Yeah. Or somebody for, on the it, run. I was gonna say it could be, you know, for the bad side. I'm not saying that I'm not the villain, just saying. But maybe he's not a spy. Maybe he's just a dude who robbed banks and now he has to flee and be somebody new. It's fair. Why would you immediately jump to spy? Because I know when I'm in a movie, okay? <laughs> no, you don't. You're in a simulation <laughs> right now. And I'm a spy. Great. <laughs> so he goes to the bank. He gets his stuff. He goes to the embassy to try to figure out what's going on because he's being followed by two French cops. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Love the embassy fight. But then this is where he meets Marie, the female who's having money troubles. And he offers her a bunch of money to drive him to Paris. And this is where the whole romance of the movie starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the love interest. Marie is played by Franca Potente. I think that's how you say her name. I know Franca's right. I'm not sure about the last name. Yeah. You might know her from like Run Lola Run. In which oh, yeah. She is absolutely amazing in that movie. No wonder she looks so familiar. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. In that movie. It, yeah. Not so much in this one. So she plays Marie. Marie is... Somebody who's in money trouble, who drives him to Paris for 20 grand, but then slowly falls in love with him because he's mysterious? Reasons. Because he looks like Matt Damon, let's be honest. And he's mysterious. I mean, isn't that the whole thing? Women love a bad boy? With a dark past. With a dark past. Yeah. He's cliche as hell, and she falls for it every step of the way. I mean, who wouldn't? Me. Yeah, probably not me either. It, it's interesting how lucky Jason Bourne gets in this movie to find the one person who's tough to track because she hasn't, you know, has no roots, doesn't have a phone, that kind of stuff. Well, he's not lucky. He overheard that at the embassy. She says because they've been messing around not getting her her visa, she has no address, no place to stay, no phone, no money, no... I guess. But it was just like, to not be traceable by these like crazy intelligence agencies... But she is. I mean, they find her pretty quick. They put a a most wanted poster out for both of them really, really quick. Yeah, I don't know. She gets found. My thing is, the next scene, after they get to Paris, they have the fight in his apartment. No, no, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have the fight in the apartment. They go to a diner, and he tells her all about how he has these, like, super abilities, right? No, no, that's before the apartment. They stop for food. I'm all over the place here. Because this movie has no through line. Exactly. It's literally just fight scene, fight scene, fight scene to the end. Fight scene, something happens. But there's a diner scene. I should probably be referencing my notes where I write things down in order, and then I try to remember them, and I cannot. Um, While you try to figure out that, real quick, how cool of a twist would it be if she was a serial killer? Because he's the, like crazy dark person who's like paying her to get to Paris and she's like oh no I probably shouldn't (laughs) she gave me serial killer vibes she gave me you probably could be working for the CIA and Mm. you're like a sleeper agent that just doesn't know you're a sleeper agent there was something definitely up with her yeah and then they that never gets paid out yeah well I I think that's just more the actress than the character All right, so I do have it. So it's the diner scene first. So let's talk about the diner scene. So they go and they stop for food. And he's trying to explain to her, like, I don't know who I am, but like I have all these passports and a gun and money and all this. And like something weird is happening. And she's like, I don't believe you. Like, I can't remember what I did two weeks ago. I'm not worried about it. I noticed this car. I'm not thinking about it. You know, 
And he's like, hold on, let me demonstrate it. And he does this whole thing where he's like, dude at the counter weighs exactly 215 pounds. The waitress is left-handed. I know the number to every all six license plates in the parking lot right now. I know the best place to find a gun is in the gray truck cab. I know. I At this altitude, I can run for half a mile dead Full speed. sprint. Yeah. Before my hands start shaking. Not even stop. Yeah. It's not like I can run a half a mile and then I got to stop. It's I can run a half a mile until my hands start shaking. And then he can just keep going, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's like, why do I know these things? Like, that's weird. And this is where she starts going, yeah, that is weird. I love this diner scene. It is. It's a great moment for Matt Damon in particular. Because it is that whole... I, identity crisis. Like, I don't know who I am, but I know all these things, and that's concerning to me. What do you think about the things he knows? The weight of the guy, the waitress left-handed, stuff like that. What do you think about those things? Does that, like, run through your mind at all? What, when I'm out and doing things? No, just the things they tell, the things in the movie that he says he can do. Yeah. Because, like, in a lot of these kind of spy movies, James Bond-esque type movies, right, Whenever they're demonstrating their abilities, it's always, like, super weird, unbelievable stuff to, like, prove a point. Mm-hmm. This is just a guy who's good at memorizing numbers. Well, like, memorizing we numbers and paying way too close attention to detail, but that's all details that you might want to know if you were going to be in a fight soon. Right, especially because the first thing he says is, I know where all the exits are. First thing I did when I sat down, I noticed where all the exits are. I, I checked my sight lines. Yeah. And she's like, I know where the exits are too. Big deal. And then he goes in all this other stuff. But it's such realistic stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, he says that dude at the counter is 215 pounds. We have no idea if that dude's actually 215. Because it's not like they go over to him and they're like, get on this scale. We need to weigh you. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally. Director's cut. You got to put that in. Yeah. I need that. Just to know if he Can was right. Can you prove a point for us, please? But I love the realism of his superpowers. Because it's just him being extra observant. Because I tell you this all the time, the world isn't observant. I tell you all the time, you're not observant. It's true. There's stuff that happens and I'm like, oh, did you see that? And you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's stuff you could be showing me and I'm like, huh, what? Yeah. But that's what I love about it. It's just, oh, the waitress is left-handed. Yeah, dude, you probably saw her carrying the tray with her left hand. You saw her pick up the water pitcher with her left hand. Of course she's left-handed. But how many other people in that place has ever noticed that? Mm-hmm. Just everybody who's come through that little diner. Who's ever noticed she's left-handed? But he noticed it right away. He made note of it. Yeah. Because if she was going to attack him, she was going to attack him with the left hand. And I love that. It's a great detail. I love that. It makes him, re- It makes him like I said, real, real. He's in that moment. He doesn't feel like James Bond. Where it's like, oh, if somebody attacks me, I'll use my jetpack to get away, or I'll have a little mm-hmm. gadget, or... Who's basically Inspector Gadget, go, 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 go boots, you Yeah, know? <laughs> like, go, go coffee mug that turns into an explosive for some reason. Yeah. It's just so, it's so cool. And I think that's why I love this character. It's so nitty gritty. Yeah. I love it. It's Realistic. just down to earth, and it's great. So after they go to the diner, they go to his apartment in Paris, and... They go in and he's obviously not been there for a while and he knows something's wrong, but he's not 100% sure what it is. Something feels off and she can't tell yet. She's like, ah, he's just weird. But he even grabs a knife and is like walking around. I love the small detail when he drops the knife to just stick it in the floor. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, 
How many times have you dropped a knife? It doesn't stick anywhere. No, it clangs everywhere. But then again, I'm not on wood floors, so who knows? Maybe I'm a savant and could do that. Maybe. When given the chance. Maybe, but doubtful. <laughs> even me too, doubtful, unless I was like concentrating. But he's not even concentrating. But again, it's a small detail of like his quote unquote superpowers. He knows the balance of the knife. He knows how to drop it to get it to stick and make the least amount of sound. It's just such a cool thing. But he knows something's up. And that's when crazy dude comes crashing through the window, shooting the joint up. Mm -hmm. First of all, how does it, if you're a trained assassin, why are you just like coming in through a window on a zip line and just spraying bullets everywhere? You have a semi-automatic machine gun in your hand and you don't hit shit. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> it does show, they get better the the people coming after him get better as they go along so maybe they just really needed to send the uh the weaker it's like, it's like boss fights you had you have to do the mini bosses first and this was the lesser mini boss it's like steve's first week on the job and they're like <laughs> hey steve go handle this guy it's like got it this is a guy who's just like an intern <laughs> and they were like hey intern we got a job for you sweet my first gig it's just bad it's just weird the the introduction to that this character is bad, but the fight ends up being pretty interesting. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's long, drawn out. Mm -hmm. They're definitely getting tired and you can feel it. So One issue I do have with this fight scene, and this one in particular, I didn't pay attention to any other ones for this, is the punch sound effects are so generic. They're the worst punch and kick sound effects ever. It's like the same exact pound punch and it is the one you've heard in every other movie ever. It is. It's like, I'm going to punch you in the head and it's going to sound the same as when I punch you in the stomach or I kick you in the chest. Every sound is exactly the same. And for some reason, it all sounds like you're hitting rubber. Got it. They probably were punching a watermelon. <laughs> That's always like the go-to for that kind of stuff. It's a good fight. Yeah. And it ends abruptly. I like that the dude kills himself because mm -hmm. it just adds another layer of intrigue of like, what the is actually happening. Mm -hmm. This dude like failed his mission. So he has to kill himself. Weird. So then they keep going. And next we get a car chase. Yeah. Basically, I'm just going to jump from action scene to action scene. Because that's kind of how the movie goes. And there's little moments of him like, I'm going to dial this phone. And then I get the clue to the next fight scene. It's like an escape room. <laughs> He's got 60 minutes to get out. Yeah. So the car chase, though, is amazing. It is. What you can see of it. I have a little asterisk on this because I just don't feel like that Mini can do that. <laughs> In the hands like, of a skilled driver, 100%. I don't think it could survive that. Well, okay. So we're just going to go. This movie's just going to open up a whole can of worms of things that annoy the shit out of me in movies. Because <laughs> they do this all the time in movies where it's like this rundown beater car and they turn it into like a freaking tank mm -hmm. that can just pull like sleek maneuvers and you're like listen you drive a 2012 dodge avenger that's in really great shape and it can do half the stuff that they're doing with this little car in this movie and i know they they try to play it off like they they do in this movie they try to give you answers preemptively because he does ask her he's like do you have good maintenance on this car like have you kept up this car and she like gives some offhanded line about 
oh yeah yeah yeah, but it it veers a little to the left or whatever no she's broke she ain't doing maintenance exactly so it's like but it doesn't it still would not survive that whole chase and be in front of all of those police cars and and motorcycles it just can't do that it's very it's one of the things in this movie that's very unrealistic yeah everything else is grounded until they get in this car chase and they're in a little like two two by two car that i love the way that he just fits into small places with it though that mm. the other cars can't go or the motorcycle can't go and it's great oh i, I love that it makes sense but it also doesn't because also marie has no reaction to anything that they're doing with this car like she's just sitting there not even like bouncing around like you definitely would be this i mean they go downstairs and nothing and Not even like, her oh, hair okay. is, like, out of place. Mm-hmm. It's just, seriously, she is unbothered by what is happening. But it's still great. It's one of my favorite car chases in any movie. It's great. Just unrealistic. It's up there with The Italian Job. You ever seen that movie? I have not. That movie's got some great car chases in it. Hmm. French Connection, great car chase. Basically, just do anything French. Do anything in France because they have all, like, those narrow streets and a lot of tight turns and mm-hmm. a lot of stairs, which people love to drive down. And up. Because why not? Hell yeah, if you gotta do it. Any pretty much any car chase I've ever seen in a movie set in France is absolutely amazing. It's amazing. So I love it. But yeah, they get through this car chase and then they're like, We're gonna go visit uh my friend who lives on a farm, Marie's friend. But first. Oh god, okay, go. We have this whole thing because, you know, they, they've seen that they've been made. They know that they're even tracking her. So they're like, we got to change your hair. So he dyes her hair. He chops her hair off like haphazardly, which apparently turns out beautifully. No, in, her haircut in is, her certain haircut is time. At, at certain moments, it looks great. And then other moments, it's like, oh, no. I mean, I have I have a receding hairline and this bald patch at the top of my head. Sometimes my hair looks great. It ain't. <laughs> and and then they they make love? question mark i mean it's the adrenaline it's the adrenaline of the chase got him going sure and so we're watching brooklyn 99 right now yeah we're watching the whole thing and you you called it if (laughs) you guys have ever seen that show there's a running gag with one of the characters in it who talks about the most sensual thing you can do is wash a woman's hair yeah and we're literally watching this movie for the pod and you just go oh my god charles was right it worked (laughs) So apparently, yeah. Because she comes on to him. Oh, immediately. But she was kind of coming on to him the whole time. She wanted it. <laughs> she wanted it the whole time. But then he like touched her hair and she was like, oh God. I can't hold it anymore. Can't any hold longer. it anymore. I'm going to orgasm yeah, right but now. You know this man for three days and he has put you in extreme danger. But yes, he colored and chopped my hair. Let's he washed my hair. Charles was right. Charles was right. So guys listening out there, if you want to do anything right, just wash a woman's hair. It's apparently the most sensual thing you can do. Huge turn on. <laughs> weird. So weird. But yes, they, they go to her friend's farm. Farm because they think it's low key enough. Yeah, it's safe. Yeah. But they get there and the professor has been tracking them this entire time. And the professor, who's also a sleeper assassin, is played by Clive Owen, who is the fourth build person in this movie. And he has like three minutes of screen time. 
Yeah, the only other thing he's done in this movie is assassinated the guy that Jason Bourne was supposed to assassinate at the beginning of the movie. Yep. yep. In an interview, Clive Owen talked about his role in this. And he's like, yeah, so basically I showed up, I put on glasses, and I posed to the camera. And then I took apart a gun like twice. Yeah. Clive Owen's great, though. I'd watch him in anything. He he definitely worked as this character. I actually was very intrigued by this character and how he goes down. Yeah. I love the conversation they have as he's going down, mm-hmm. as he's dying. And it's just like, I love how you give stuff away without giving it away. And Clive Owen's delivery is just mwah, spot on. So good. Really good. But yeah, I love the cat and mouse because he sends Marie and her friend and the kids away. Because he's like, it's dangerous. Get the hell out of here. And it's dangerous because Clive Owen is currently sniping them. Trying to anyway. And the reason he knows this is because the family dog has gone missing and is totally safe. Just not there. Because it senses the danger. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the story I'm going with. It's Yeah, he's totally safe. If the movie doesn't show you otherwise... He's yep. safe. He senses he sensed the danger and got out of dodge. So Clive Owen is is camping, trying to snipe them. So he sends him away. But Bourne sets up like a little diversion so that he can go track Clive Owen through the tall grass without Owen knowing it. And it's a really cool moment where again, it's it's shot like an action scene. It feels like an action scene, but there's no action. It's is very tense and once again it's it's showing them making very intelligent decisions because he shoots something that explodes so all the all the uh smoke is covering his escape and as soon as the uh professor realizes i don't have a shot anymore he gets him gets up and moves but when he gets up and moves he gets shot yeah by born who's in the tall grass with a shotgun And puts him on his ass. Don't go into the tall grass. (laughs) It's, it's a great moment. The whole back and forth between them and the way they shot it was really cool as well. Because Mm -hmm. the, um, second unit director was filming Clive Owen running through the grass at the same time that Lyman was filming Matt Damon running around. And then they brought the two camera, uh, crews together. So they were shooting it separately at exactly the same time and brought them together. Oh, that's cool. And then edited it all together. And I was like, damn, that's really interesting. Yeah. Instead of like filming just Clive Owen doing everything and then setting all up to do Damon stuff. They did it at the same time. That's cool. That is very cool. And it works so well because there's such a cool feel to this where you, again, feel like you're in the space. Like you know what's happening without having to like repeatedly cut back and forth between them. And they feel like they're in different geographical regions. So one thing I really like about this is we joked that the first assassin that they send after Barn feels like an intern. This guy doesn't. It feels like they're both making very smart decisions. And the way he was able to get so much out of this character, or at least like I, I read so much out of this character in the very limited time we get with him. Like I figured he was someone who was kind of tired of this life and he was done with it. And he, he knew he was going to die at that point. So he's like, well, give him what he wants. I'm not going to jump from a window. I'm not that loyal to these people. You're a hundred percent. Right. So I, I really am a, I got so much out of that scene and I really like that scene. So what 
the professor tells him is like, you got to find Treadstone. Treadstone are the people behind all of this. So Damon's like, who is that? And he's like, I can't tell you. Figure it out. And that's what the rest of the movie is. He's got to go figure it out. We're pretty much at the end of the movie. Originally, that fight with Clive Owen was going to be the last action scene in the movie because it's only got like 25 minutes left and they mm-hmm. were just going to end it. But then they were like, no, no, no. We got 25, 30 minutes left. We need at least one more action scene and that's why we get the shootout at the end. I would have been majorly pissed if this is how they ended the movie. No, no, no. It wasn't going to end here. Oh. It was the last action scene. No more action. Uh, they were going to okay. go into the ending from this. Okay. But then they were like, one more gunfight. Yeah. One more gunfight. Why fight. not? So he does. He finds Treadstone, the guy behind it all, who we haven't even talked about them yet. So let's talk about them. Treadstone sure. is the people behind this, the part of the CIA and all this stuff who's brainwashed people and made them perfect weapons. And they're trying to hunt down Bourne because he went off assignment. What What did they say? That he was a $3 million... $30 million. $30 million asset. Yep. Who failed. And they were like, now we got to end you. So the two CIA people, three CIA people that we meet are Conklin, who's like the main guy, who's played by Chris Cooper. He's really good in this. He makes a really good CIA, like dirty CIA agent. He has that air about him. And I feel like I've seen him in other things in like a similar capacity. Yeah, he's a huge CIA slash authority figure, that guy. Mm -hmm. He always plays that type of agent role, but he's good at it. The other two are Ward Abbott, who is his boss, Conklin's boss, played by Brian Cox. This guy also seems familiar. Maybe just his voice, though. No, you know Brian Cox from X-Men, X2, X-Men United. He's Striker. (gasps) That's what I thought, but he seemed so much bigger. In what? X-Men or this? This. Yeah. Well, this is... No, this is about the same time. I think they came out around the same time. So weird. 2003, I think, is X-Men, so within a year. Like, bigger and older. Yeah. But he's, again, playing somebody who has information about somebody who doesn't remember their past. Same character as Striker. Who is also a government agent-ish that uh, does his own thing. Yeah, but he's good at it, so just let him do it. Oh, yeah. And the third one is Nicolette, who is a computer programmer for the Treadstone Project, played by Julia Stiles. Yeah, she's like their phone woman. She's a secretary who also does stuff. Yeah. It's weird. I don't understand her character at all in this. Yeah, it's fine. She's fine. I mean, I like Julia Stiles. She's not a great actress, though. No. So she's just okay. But in this movie, it really didn't matter that much for this role no because you didn't need much out of her besides plot convenience exactly he tracks them down gets into treadstone confronts conklin and is like i'm gonna kill you all conklin's like you gotta fight all these men first so he fights all the men shoots them all i was gonna say conklin is the one who makes him remember well yeah he makes he yells at him and tells him everything (laughs) but he fights a guy conklin tells him everything he needs to know about remembering who he is how he messed everything up and then Bourne's like, okay, cool. Thanks for telling me, but uh, I'm done. I, yeah, I want to be out. Like, I just want to be done. And that's it. They're like, okay, you're done. And then he leaves. Yeah, he fights some guys along the way. And then he leaves. And he goes and finds Marie. Which is weird. But while he's out searching for her, Brian Cox is having a governmental meeting 
where he's telling everybody, oh, yeah, uh, that was a failure. Treadstone was a failure. The whole experiment with sleeper agents was a failure. We have a new thing we're going to do. And to tie up loose ends, we kill Conklin. Yep. Because we, I love how they made it seem like this uh, assassin was coming after Jason as he gets out of the car. And then you find out it's actually Conklin. Loose ends, man. Yeah. Loose ends. So he goes and happy ending. They they leave him alone, or at least you think they're going to leave him alone. He finds Marie, who's opened up a bike shop or something. Bike rentals, I yeah, guess. Scooter rentals. Scooter rentals in Greece. Ah. That's where she's at. She's on a Greek island. He finds her and they are happy. Yeah. End of movie. Are we good with the happy ending? I mean, happy ending's fine, but... You know, we'll, we'll get into why I'm mad at it in a bit. Okay. That's uh, that's the whole movie. Uh, here's some casting what-ifs. Sure. I only could find stuff for Jason Bourne. Yeah. Apparently no other character was ever going to be anybody else, or at least nothing that the internet knows. <laughs> um, so originally Brad Pitt was signed on to play Jason Bourne. Okay. He was signed on for from the year 2000 until like three months before it started filming. So he was signed on for about eight months, but then he went to go do a different movie because this movie was taking too long and they brought Matt Damon in. I think a better choice. I think either one could have done it. They, I don't think it changes. Oh yeah. I don't think it changes the movie much putting Pitt in this role. I don't he think it changes much, handsome. but you know, I do like Matt Damon. So would Brad Pitt be too handsome? He would stand out in a crowd. Matt Damon definitely has that more like every man look. I, you can dress Brad Pitt down. I've never seen it. I have. In what? I feel like in um, Bullet Train, they dressed him down a bit. That's older Brad Pitt. That doesn't count. Ah, fine. I, 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 I can't think of movies that he was in around this time. So Brad Pitt, here were other people that the studio wanted before Lyman was like, we're going to go with Matt Damon. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Mindset. Remember the mindset I was talking about earlier that we were all still in when it came to action movies? Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Okay. Russell Crowe. Ooh. And Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Those were all people that the studio was thinking about hiring for Jason Bourne before Matt Damon finally came in and saved it. I mean, Tom Cruise could have done it. I think he'd be on the too pretty scale as well, but like... Yeah, maybe. Uh, I I like who they got. I think Matt Damon was the correct choice. He He added so much depth. I, could you imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger in this role? I <laughs> want to know what his one-liner would have been. Trying to be an everyman, and he's just like this hulking monster of a man. How, however, are we going to find him? Oh, wait, I can see him from here. <laughs> I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, no, I could never <laughs> I see I can't remember who I am. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't see it at all. No. Or Sylvester Stallone, just mumbling through the whole thing. Yo, so I, I'm going to... Go oh. in my apartment now and, uh... Maybe I attack this guy because he attacked me first. Is he is he an Italian mobster Apparently. now? <laughs> <laughs> now he's your Sylvester Stallone? That was terrible. I, yeah, I, I don't know Sylvester Stallone hey, all that much. If you're ever going to do Sylvester Stallone, you're just going to say, Yo, Adrian. You always got to say that first. That's what I thought I was doing. No, you were not. <laughs> I was expecting you to pull out a plate of, like, spaghetti and meatballs and then whack somebody and put them in cement shoes in the ocean. I mean, his Rocky feels very Italian to me, so. Well, sure, but he's not Italian mob, weirdo. Believe it or not, Google search. 
You ready? Sure. Jason Bourne is based on a real person. Not real. I don't. <laughs> oh no, that's a great. That's a great. Yeah. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start throwing in fake facts and see if you believe it or not. <laughs> I didn't do it for this one though. They're all real. <laughs> I thought that's what we were going for because it was like, believe it or not, I don't believe it. <laughs> no, this is just believe it or not. This is half-assed internet research. So you can believe it or not. I don't have any proof of any of this, oh. but. That's a good point, though. I'm going to throw in some fake shit next week and see if you even recognize it. (laughs) All right. Believe it or not, Jason Bourne is based on a real person called Ansel Bourne, who was a preacher from Rhode Island who was the first documented case of disassociative fugue. Fugue. It's basically like multiple personality disorder. It's a different variation of that. Isn't that just fugue? Fugue? Like to be in a fugue state? Sure. I'm I'm reading it as like a French version of the word. Because <laughs> yeah, like I've never seen fugue. this word spelled before. So I was like, uh, is it French? We're going to go with French. It was set in France, so it makes sense. So there you go. Uh, in 1887, Ansel Bourne forgot who he was. Completely just forgot who he was. Randomly? Randomly. Okay. Went and started a new life in Pennsylvania. Like, literally moved from Rhode Island, went to Pennsylvania because he forgot who he was, started a new life under the last name Brown, Ansel Brown. He remembered his first name, at least. I assume so. I couldn't find what his first name was. It just said Brown. Three months after he starts this new life as Brown, he wakes up one day and remembers that he's Ansel Bourne, but completely forgets about Ansel Brown (laughs) and is so confused why he's in Pennsylvania. And cannot remember the last three three months of his life. Why he's in Pennsylvania. Why he owns this house. Why he has this. Can't remember anything. And freaks out and goes back to Rhode Island. Alrighty then. No idea why. Interesting. So when Ludlum found out about this story, he wrote this book and based Jason Bourne off of Ansel Bourne. What if Assassin couldn't remember who he was? I just think it's funny that it's a preacher in real life, and he was like, assassin, though. He's got to kill people. Hey, come on. You know what? You got to make it cool. Matt Damon, you know, when he uh, is leaving the embassy and he climbs down the building? Yeah. All cool-like? Mm-hmm. Matt Damon actually climbed down the last 30 feet by himself so that they could shoot him for real. Dude, before the that, strength? Oh. Before that, it was a stunt double, but the last 30 feet was all Damon. Said it was one of the hardest things he's ever done. Well, yeah, the finger strength of a god. Gilroy, Tony Gilroy, who wrote the movie, never read the book. Wow. He was only given an outline by Doug Lyman, who had read the book, wrote an outline about the novel, gave it to Gilroy and said, do not read the book, only use my outline, write me a movie. But why, though? (laughs) I don't know. This apparently strays very far from the book. It's not at all like the book. This is the closest... I can't remember if this is the farthest or the closest to the book, but it's weird. And that could be why, because he never actually got to read it. Hmm. Uh, last thing I have is in 1988, this isn't the first time The Born Identity has been a movie. Really? They actually made it into a movie back in 1988, but they put it out as a TV miniseries. So when uh. I ask you a question later about if this could be a miniseries, the answer is yes. Because it's already happened. I was going to say yes either way, so. All right, now questions. (laughs) Is this entire series based on luck? 
No. Because how lucky is he that he was found in the middle of the ocean? Now, it sounds like luck, but from what we know about Bourne, being able to read these things and diagnose his surroundings and everything ahead of time, it was all planned. He just didn't know he planned it. Mm-hmm. Like, running into Marie wasn't by chance. How was he not bleeding as they were taking the bullets out of his back? PG-13 movie. But it made him seem like he was a corpse, and he was not. PG-13 Because then movie. he has blood on his back later. <laughs> they literally stab someone's hand and have them pull the pen out of their hand in this movie. Yep. Why was he suddenly so suspicious of everyone? Like, he, he wasn't suspicious of anyone, and then he went into, like, the embassy or something like that. Because he was being tracked by cops. Mm. Right before he goes into the embassy, they make it a point to show the same two cops pass his uh, eye line three times. Yeah. And he keeps, but he's turning down all these streets, and yet the cops are always right near him. And so he starts putting it together. He's being hunted. Ah, okay. And then how do they get the money back? Basically, he stashes it in the um, train station in France and they don't have it for a good long portion of the movie and then suddenly he has it again at the barn they made a stop i don't know uh-huh is it a fight scene because if it's not a fight scene the movie doesn't care <laughs> also what is that relationship why is that relationship him and marie yes we already talked about it bad boy mysterious past looks like matt damon but why because women are dumb. <laughs> okay. So it's not even sexist. It's just kind of true when it comes to these types of boys. Yeah. Yeah. You say me. But you know you've been there. Yeah. Um, all right. So did this movie change Mission Impossible? Because we you've seen the original Mission Impossible. We covered it. Yeah. It was like action-y, but not like gritty, realistic action like this. It was more spy stuff drop from the ceiling, do masks, be... But then all of a sudden, Mission Impossible becomes like, we gotta do big stunts, we gotta be realistic, we gotta... Did this change it? Did Tom Cruise watch Matt Damon be born and go, mother... You ain't stealing my thunder. I wanna do that. I feel like that's Tom Cruise, like, all the time. He he sees something and he's like, I wanna do it. But, like, better. Like, I gotta one-up it. Yeah. But now he watches his own movie and says, I gotta one-up it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like this changed, but it also changed James Bond. Because before this, James Bond was more cartoony, and then Daniel Craig takes over James Bond four years after this, 06, they get Casino Royale, the first of those that series, mm-hmm. and he's a gritty, action-packed, punch-you-in-the-face James Bond. This movie changed a lot of things. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Did they not trust Matt Damon to make the fights look good? Is that why the fights are are real close up and cut a lot and the camera's moving a lot? Are they, they didn't trust him to learn the choreography? No, that was them trying to make it look cool. Interesting. Cool with a K. Is Marie better looking with long red hair or short dark hair? Short dark hair, I think. Maybe not that short, but like short. Okay. I don't think the red worked. Well, you only get you only get two options. It's the beginning of the movie or the second half of the movie. Which one does she look better in? Second half of the movie. Okay, you can't change anything. You can't be like, oh, well, if it was only a little bit longer. No, no, you just got to take what they gave. Yeah, second half of the movie. Okay. What about you? Uh, the long hair, the beginning half. 
the short hair doesn't look right on her. Something just, something's mismatched. Yeah, but the sure. long hair makes her look all frumpy. So? What's your point? You telling me I can't like frumpy? <laughs> Are you a frumpiest? <laughs> uh, real quick uh, piece of information um, that I forgot to add in. So Doug Lyman did not tell the cameramen what was going to be happening in like action sequences and stuff like that. He gave him like a general outline of kind of what was going to happen or just big conversations with multiple people. And it's why when you watch this movie, the camera always seems to be lagging behind because the cameraman didn't know what was going to happen. So as they moved, he had to move with them, but he didn't always know where they were going to move. He wasn't a part of rehearsals. That's probably a bad plan. Actually, I think that's what added to it. It Because again, it made us feel like we were in it. Mm. and you don't always know what's going to come next. Sometimes when you know what's coming next, it feels too smooth. So I like the choppiness of it a little bit. Okay. I don't know. Another interesting way that they made this movie. Um, Piece of memorabilia you want from this movie. The money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the money. Give it to me now. Oh, the money. Um, The red bag. That's the only answer. Yeah. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, there's nothing really like major. I would take her car. Nah. I would go drive it around like that and see if it could actually do those things. Um, The Luis cameo. Yeah. The Luis cameo. Is it Luis or Louise? Luis. Luis? Luis. Luis. All right. The Luis cameo. We all know the character Luis from Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. And he has that lovely recap scene where he voices over other people doing things. And it's actually rather humorous. Where would you put him in the movie? I would give have him give a recap of uh, Bourne and Marie getting together. Not like their little romance, but like how they got to where they are currently to the CIA agent guy. So he's a CIA agent mm. who's been tracking them and now he's filling him in. Yeah. Okay. I'm right there with you, but he is a CIA agent who works at the CIA, but he's telling Nicolette everything that's happened or like stuff that was happening before she's getting involved. Mm, okay. So talking to a different person. So she has somebody to talk to. Cause I feel like most of the movie, she's just always kind of like doing her own thing. <laughs> she needs like a partner and her partner is Louise. <laughs> the fast talking Louise. Got Correct. it. Okay. I can so see I think it. That's what, this one was hard though. Cause like, it's such a serious movie. It's hard to fit in like that kind of comedic scene. Mm-hmm. So probably doesn't need one but i was like let me see where i can shove one in yeah uh other new category is the tignataro and this is based on tignataro's role in what is it army of the Dead. army of the dead by Zack snyder where he replaced a problematic actor with tignataro and a green screen and it was amazing so if you could replace any person in this movie with another actor or a muppet or a Sesame Street character, or a cartoon character, or whatever. You can make it serious or funny. Who do you replace, and who are you replacing them with? I want to replace Marie. Don't know with whom, so I'm saying Tig Notaro. <laughs> That's a different movie. It's a very different movie. <laughs> I like where your head's at, because I also said replace Marie. I'm picking somebody who was big at the time, still recognizable, but not as big, but she had just come off the X-Men movies. And I'm picking Fomke Jansen, who plays Jean Grey in the X-Men movies. Okay. 
she's a much better actress. And her and Matt Damon just starred together in the movie Rounders in 1997. 1997-98. So, like, they were already comfortable with each other. I think they really could have put in great performances together. I'd actually be interested in seeing Marie being a different character from the X-Men universe. And that would be the actress who does Mystique. Oh, Rebecca Romaine. Yeah. I okay. think she could do it. She's not a great actress. Fair enough. She's good, but she's not great. I think Matt Damon is so good in this movie that you need somebody for him to bounce off of that's like really good. Mm -hmm. So like if you would have said Halle Berry from X-Men Storm, I would have gave you that. Because okay. she's a good actress. She's not great, but she's better than this chick. But I, I went Fomke Jansen. Fair enough. And she also has long red hair, so it works. You can cut all her hair off too. All right, so new category. We've done this one time before, and I'm throwing this at you. I've already done it, and I just need help finishing it. Because I'm not sure about a couple of them. So, it's the Muppets. We're doing the Muppet identity. So, everybody's going to be a Muppet, except for one person. They get to stay in the movie. Okay. But it can't be Matt Damon. He can't be in it. Well, because you have to have... Uh... Kermit is Jason Yeah. Bourne. And if Kermit is Jason Bourne, then Marie has to be Miss Piggy. Like, that's just a given. Right? Yeah. They're, they're love interest. It has to happen. Yeah. So, here's, besides those two, here what I currently have. Conklin, who's the CIA guy, is played by Gonzo. Okay. The professor, I'm keeping his Clive Owen. <laughs> That's your human? Dude, Clive Owen and Muppets, I would totally watch it all day, every day. But he's only in it for like five minutes. Great. Ah. Okay. Ward Abbott, played by Brian Cox, is now either going to be the Swedish chef or Fozzie Bear. I'm not sure which one. Fozzie Bear. Okay. We gotta have Fozzie in it. And then Nicolette, I'm changing to Nicholas, and it's Animal. <laughs> it's Animal? Animal. Of all the... Animal. Okay. Need to see it. Okay. Okay. So, what do we change here? Who are you adding in? Who are you replacing? What are you doing with the Muppets in this? Those are the characters you get to work with. How are you doing it? You know what? No, I kind of like yours. I I might switch Fozzie and Gonzo. So you want Fozzie Bear to be Conklin? Yeah. And you want Gonzo to be Brian Cox? Yeah. Yeah, but Gonzo doesn't have like, I don't know, something's weird about him. Yeah, but like, I feel like he could be evil if you wanted to. Okay. So we have the Muppet identity. It's Kermit as Born, Piggy as Marie. We have C Chris Cooper staying as Conklin. Mm -hmm. We have Dr. Bunsen as the professor. We have Fozzie Bear as Ward Abbott. The Swedish chef is the first failed assassin. And we have Animal as Nicolette. Yeah. All right, cool. Is it a musical? <laughs> of course. It's the Muppets. Okay. <laughs> Would I watch this? No. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I probably would watch would it. probably hate watch it, but... Oh, I would 100% hate it. watch it. All right, let's go into awards. Yeah. Let's finish up. Our first award is the Prestige Award for the biggest WTF moment in the movie. It's everything to do with Brian Cox, mostly because the character doesn't make any sense and what the fuck is he doing in this movie? Once you bring in Cox, the movie gets too weird and messy. Fair enough. So I hate it. Get rid of it. For me, it's the making out after chopping Marie's hair. We already talked about it. It's super sensual. Yeah, but no, and, like, no, yeah, no. but no, yeah, but you've known him for three days, and he put you in 
immediate danger. You love Disney movies. They get married after a day. Not anymore. We've grown past that, okay? <laughs> this was 2002. Yeah, they've grown past that, okay? <laughs> no, it's just, I, it makes no sense. I don't like it. Fair. Feels rushed. Uh, next award is one of our new awards. It's the Spinal Tap Award. This one goes to 11. And it's for the most overacting moment or character in the movie. It can be good or bad. Overacting doesn't always mean bad. It just means they're giving their all and they're going over the top. I don't have an answer for this one. I I actually do. I don't think anybody's really ever dialing it up. So I can't wait to hear this. Mine goes to Chris Cooper as Conklin as he's confronting Jason Bourne about his memory. He's going hard, like hamming that up. Like, you should remember you ruined everything. Like, oh shit, that's so good. Yeah. It's the only answer in this movie is he goes. And it's not him the whole time. It's just that one scene. Just that one scene. You're, you're so right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That's the award. That's yep. the award winner, for sure. Yeah. He dials it up like crazy. Uh, next is the psycho shower scene for your favorite scene in the movie. I gave my a, a bit of mine away. Is It's a fight. For me, it's the Paris apartment fight. I actually really enjoy that fight. I know it starts shoddy with the whole gun fiasco and the, you know, going through the window. But the hand-to-hand combat of that is so cool. I love... His use of the pen, like, it, it, oh, just the him pulling the pen out of his hand bit gets me every time. But it was a really intriguing fight for me. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. But I'm going to see your first fight scene, and I'm going to raise you two scenes. You cheating? Yes. Okay. So my Psycho Shower Award goes to two different scenes because I couldn't really pick. It's either the car chase, because it's just amazing and the france backdrop is just beautiful or i'm going with the diner scene okay i love when he's explaining his powers and i keep calling them powers but they're really not but like his training his abilities when he's explaining and he's going through everything damon again damon's acting in this moment it's just top tier he's so good in this moment so i love both these scenes and i couldn't pick i'd go with the diner scene We've seen car chases before and after. Yeah, but this one's so good. Yeah. That's why I cheated and picked both. Next is the... I'll be right back! Award, and this is for your favorite line in the movie. Mine comes from when they're going to the Paris uh, apartment, and he and Bourne rings the bell a couple of times, and Marie gives this wonderful one-liner of... guess you're not home yeah because it's his apartment it's his apartment and he's ringing it as if he's gonna answer it it made me chuckle it it was a bright moment in that whole character's existence (laughs) you exist for that one line one line only yep it's a great line i had a feeling that was going to be your award winner (laughs) (laughs) Because I know you, and that's the kind of stuff that just tickles your funny bone. Yep. I went with something at the very end of, not the very, very end, but the end of the movie. And it's after Conklin yells at Bourne about how he was a failure and all that. And Bourne tells him he's done. 
And then Bourne looks him right in the eye and he's like, don't follow me, don't track me, don't nothing. He looks him right in the eye and he says, I swear to God, if I even feel somebody behind me, there is no measure to how fast and how hard I will bring this fight to your doorstep. I'm on my own side now. It's so powerful. That last bit, I'm on my own side now. <laughs> the way Damon delivers it to him and just the force behind those, what is that, six words has so much depth and meaning. And Damon just kills it in the delivery. Well, and it's one of the first times you really feel him as being like threatening. Because, you know, this entire movie, he has been on the defensive and he's kind of been, I don't know who I am, what I'm doing, anything. So for him to suddenly have this, like, I will kill you, like, moment. It's scary. It is. And Damon knocks that out of the park. Yeah. Next is the Han Shop First Award for what held up the worst since this movie came out. There's there's a lot of downtime in this movie. That's my answer is just the moments in this movie where nothing's happening. And it's literally just, we need to get a two-hour movie, and we only have an hour worth of stuff we want to do. So how do we fill this other hour full of bullshit? I wrote the pacing because for such an action-oriented movie, this it's very boring. For long stretches. For very long stretches. And it's just like, I almost fell asleep watching it because oh my god just nothing's happening oh suddenly action okay i'm up again because it's not even like interesting downtime no we're like they're giving you small details or they're it's literally just they're driving to the next action scene yeah like had he been doing investigating and trying to figure stuff out like that would have been interesting but no you're right it's literally just them traveling to the next fight good i'm glad we agree on this oh yeah and our last award is the Paul Rudd Award for what held up the best since this movie came out. On the count of three, say your answer because we're going to have the same answer. I hope. Ready? One, two, three, Damon. Action scenes. Oh! <laughs> I, I should have said Damon, but like I had a feeling you were going to say that. So yeah, I went with the action scenes. This is an action-oriented movie and the action scenes work. They were interesting and unique and they were all different. Exactly. Nothing felt the same. Every time there was some kind of action going on, like the first the first two fights are kind of the same. Mm-hmm. The two police on the bench and then the embassy are very similar. Yeah. But then the first, your favorite fight scene is so different than everything else. Then the Clive Owen action scene is a very cat and mouse brain game more than anything. And then, the then you get a car, car chase, chase. And then you get the final fight. But that's a shootout. Mm-hmm. That's the first time we're seeing Bourne really like with guns and doing stuff. And I said we were going to come back to it and we're going to come back to it right now. Him grabbing the body and falling down the stairwell <laughs> on top of the body. Good or bad? Ridiculous. So dumb, right? So dumb. <laughs> but so good at the same yeah. time. Because like, they, they, they slow that moment down too because he's like going to shoot the other guy. At the same time, and, like, it's so bad. <laughs> Would that work? Can a body soften your blow that much that you can fall down flights of... I mean, he doesn't fall down flights. He doesn't fall down those stairs. He goes down the stair shaft, the stairwell. He goes it straight down the middle. It's a lot of stairs. Yeah, he goes down floors. No, I don't think it would work. Right, he's Because you'd injured. hit the same momentum. I mean, he was injured as he was walking away, so, like, they did like, that right, but sure. not enough. 
Like, he's injured, injured, though. Especially because he lands feet first. Like, your legs are broken. Yeah, no. Maybe. I mean, he lands on his belly on top of the guy, but, like, No, he lands not feet well first. Enough. He lands feet on, feet on the guy. Huh? Because he's literally, like, standing on the dude. Oh, shooting I, th- people. I thought he was, like, laying on the dude. Nope. He's standing on the dude, and then the dude l- lands belly first on the ground, and then he lands with his feet on the guy and rolls off of him. Yeah, no, you're you're broken. It's funny as hell, though. And yeah. it, it, it's a moment in that action scene I will always remember. Yeah. He literally surfs a body through the <laughs> stairwell. It's great. All right, final decisions. As much as I don't like that this movie kind of doesn't have much plot, doesn't have much story substance to it, I think it does hold up because it is an interesting action movie. It has an interesting premise. It has some interesting action scenes. And I can enjoy it. Yeah, I, I'm i on the fence on this one. Mm-hmm. I'm like Ebert with this one. For, as an action movie, the action is fantastic. As a movie, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. So it's like, where do I lie? If I want, like, good action, I can pop this in and really enjoy it. But if I want a good movie, this isn't what I'm going to watch. Yeah. And so I don't know. I'm I'm like I'm teetering so hard and I thought maybe this conversation would lead me one way or the other and it just solidified my middle ground even more. All right, I'm going to go with it doesn't hold up. All right. That's a shame. But if you want to watch action, just go check out all these scenes on YouTube. Fair. It's so good. Uh unfortunately this movie's not streaming anywhere. So if you want to watch it, hopefully you own it. I mean, you can rent it or buy it from Vudu, iTunes, all that stuff, but if you don't already own it, that's that's the way to go. Check this movie out whenever you get a chance. Or don't, because I said it doesn't hold up. <laughs> Join us next week when we go to Boston and we talk about The Departed. Oh, don't make me try to do that. It's going to be it's gonna be wicked awesome. It's going to be wicked awesome. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the accent the entire time. No, I'm not. So until then, just be good to yourself, be kind to others, and as always, keep watching movies. Bye.